This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You see, first of all, one must recognize the fact that the Laksmana of Malacca existed. Okay. This is proven by the records uh, of the uh, letters of the Laksmana to the Ryukyu king mm-hmm. hmm, in 1480 and 1481. So you can't deny that. And then, of course, the Portuguese sources, they all mention that the Laksmana of Malacca. But nowhere in any source the name of the Laksmana was ever mentioned. Hmm. Why? Because there is this taboo in Malay Indonesian culture. You cannot mention the name of a person, especially if he's a great man. Right, right. Yeah. This taboo is pantang, pantang larang, menyebut nama, yeah, to mention a name, was left to the author of the Ikehantua to use his imagination. Wow, okay. So, the name Hang Tuha was actually it's just a nickname. Mm. It's a nickname. It is Glar, you know, nama Glar. Hi, I'm Ahmad Fawad Rahman and you're listening to Night School, the show that explores theories, concepts and society. This week, we are going to talk about history, in particular around a, a book that was just released called Hikayat Hang Tuha. And joining us to do that is the author himself, Professor Ahmad Haddam. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, it's good to have you back again. The last time you were here, we talked about another work that you did on the Trenganu Stone, which is very, very interesting, very fascinating, controversial thesis, as we all know. Now you have another controversy for us. <laughs> and again, it's, it surrounds this very legendary, iconic Malay hero. So, uh, before we get into the details of your argument, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what made you want to pursue this inquiry? Well... First of all, my experience in the study of Malay manuscripts began when I did my master's at SOAS. And that work has been published under the title Letters of Sincerity. Because, you know, in the Malay courts, the clerks of the courts would write Warkatul Ikhlas, meaning Letters of Sincerity. (laughs) And uh, Annabel Gallup friend of mine also worked on these mm-hmm. Malay letters but uh, she did on the the design the art aspect mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the letters so after that when I came back uh, by the way my special area I might have told before is Indonesia mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I believe although <laughs> it's self-praising actually that book is very popular Right. If you want to study about the growth or the emergence of Indonesian nationalism, you should read my book, The Vernacular Press and the Emergence of Modern Indonesian Consciousness. Right. Now, when I came back, I worked as a lecturer first okay. at the University of uh, University Kebangsaan because I was sent for further studies by the UKM. Then I stayed at the UKM for 10 years. Then... Uh, the Vice-Chancellor of uh, University of Malaysia, Sabah, requested that I go to Sabah to help to found the what is called the Centre for the Promotion of Knowledge and Language Learning. Mm-hmm. So I was the founding dean 
Cool. And I made it compulsory in that center. Every university student must study history. Mm-hmm. Whether you are a medical student or an engineering student, you have to study Malaysian history. Mm-hmm. I called the course. I designed the course. Uh, Sejarah Malaysia dan Pembinaan Bangsa. Mm-hmm. Nation building. Mm-hmm. History of nation building, actually. Many students were interested in history, but not all. Uh, anyway, it was a compulsory course, so they had to do it. And uh, I designed the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, after retirement from Sabah, I joined UKM again as a fellow, research fellow. And after that, for a short while at UK after that I went to the University of Malaya also as a research fellow and as, as a guest scholar then I had a short stint at Oxford wow. as a research fellow then uh, that's where I did research on the Batu Besurat Terengganu mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Terengganu inscription right, right and you know at Oxford they have over 100 libraries yeah yeah Why did you not stick to pursuing Indonesian history? Because one of your mentors uh, was Ruth McVeigh, legend mm-hmm. in the field. And it was a very exciting time for Indonesian studies at SOAS at the time. So you're trained as an Indonesianist, quote unquote, but then you gradually move to Malaysian history. I mean, tell us a little bit about that transition. Do you feel that there's still a lot of work needs to be done here? Or did you feel that you lessened your attachment to Indonesia? What was the transition like? I never lost interest on Indonesia actually I've been following the writings historical writings about Indonesia and I have contacts with some friends I went to Leiden mm. quite a number of times when I was in Sabah a few times I spent mm. my uh, my uh, leave in Leiden I took my sabbatical leave also in Leiden I think Leiden is the best place to work on Indonesia mm-hmm. and the Malay world mm-hmm. so gradually you know I shifted from working on Indonesian press, I wanted to do the same thing on the Malaysian press, mm-hmm. the Malay press, actually. Right, right. And that's how I became interested in Malaysian right, history. Right. And also, I became attached to the emergence of Malay nationalism. Of course, many people would disagree with me, but I believe it was Indonesian-inspired. Right, right. Yeah. And the left-wing movement yeah. was strong. Amnu came only later. Yeah. And you have figures like Ibrahim Yaakob, for example. Yes, right, Ibrahim Yaakob. Who related to both Malaya and Indonesia, right? Right, As part right. of his vision. Yeah. Muhammad, you yeah. know. And uh, then, when I was at uh, University of Malaya, that was around the year 2009, I think, I was drawn to this manuscript, the Sulalatus Salatin, mm-hmm. which has never been worked by anybody, And it's kept in Russia hmm. until today. Wow. So I was told by uh, one Russian teacher, lecturer. So I worked on it for five years. You know? And I made a lot of discoveries, actually, especially on Javanese influence, old Javanese. And I've been correcting people when they say Sang Sapurba. Hmm. Sang Sepurba was the supposedly the ancestor of the Malay royalty. Mm-hmm. You know? I say it's not Sepurba, it's Supraba. Mm-hmm. Supraba is another name for the Buddha. Mm-hmm. So the writer, being a Muslim, a staunch Muslim, 
he didn't want to reveal that Buddhism came to Bukit Seguntang. Oh, right, right, right. So he called that character Sang Suprabha, accompanied by Hindus, mm-hmm. which means to say Hinduism also came to. And when they landed on the bukit, there was bright, shining light, which is exactly the color for the Buddha. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Then, until today, people argue with me. They don't agree that it's Sang Suprabha. Yeah. But it, as I say, it's difficult to change yeah. mindset of people. After the Sejarah Melayu, I was thinking, I changed, I tried to change the name of the spelling T-W-H, which in Jawi is Ta-Wau-Ha. Mm-hmm. I told the chief editor of the Yasan Karyawan, now I have to mention the publisher, that please, can you allow me to change mm-hmm. uh, before publication? This word, this spelling, Ta-Wau-Ha, is not Tuah. Mm-hmm. It's Tuha. Mm-hmm. I thought I could make an impact in the sense that the first person to correct the mistake. For centuries, right, people right. have been pronouncing it as Tua. He refused. Mm. So I was very disappointed. Now, this is quite central to your argument, right? In that there is a spelling mistake, but the spelling mistake is significant, right? In that it actually uh, leads to a comparison between two words and that this would have an impact on how we understand his legacy. So tell us a little bit about how that spelling mistake happened and why it's important for us to note the difference. See, there was no word such as tua. The word tua didn't exist before 1630s. The word tua instead was replaced by the word bagia. Hmm. Fortune is bagia. Mm-hmm. Good luck is also bagia. Bad luck is also bagia. Uh, Bagai yang buruk, you know. Mm. So, there was no tua. Just like the word tua. Tua didn't exist before the 1630s. Interesting. The first time the word tua appeared was in the Hikaya Aceh. And the spelling was T-W. You see, in Jawi, T-W is T-W-A-W. They never bother about uh, vowels mm-hmm. or diphthong or whatever. You know, just just like for example, the word duly yeah, for the royalty. Right. It's just DL. Right, right. You don't need to spell it as D-U-L-I. Now, the word tua didn't exist. And I checked the manuscripts. The first time the word tua and even uh, tua appeared in Hikai Aceh. So Hikai Aceh was demarcation line. Mm-hmm. In the Hikai Raja Pasai, which is an older text, for Tua, it was pronounced Tuha. Mm-hmm. In this Hikai Sirama, it's the same thing. So, I was not satisfied with the attitude of the editor. Right. So, I worked on the Hikai at Hang Tuha. I mm. found a manuscript at the University of Malaya. And I, I mentioned it in my introduction. Right. Yeah. And this, how long did it take that process of building this argument into book form? For the Hikai Hang Tua, it didn't take as long as the Sejarah Melayu. Mm-hmm. I think I worked on this for uh, less than two years. Right, right. Mm. Because it seems to have germinated over time, right? Because you encountered the manuscript, you found that something was amiss, 
and then you connected the dots when you read these other manuscripts and yeah. gradually you you formulated your your argument yeah. right tell us a little bit about the demands of doing this sort of historical research because you have to have a good command of the languages of the archipelago right yes because uh, uh, there's so many linguistic intricacies here yeah i to be frank i relied mostly on dictionaries mm-hmm. when i was in leiden i bought uh, old javanese dictionaries and also uh, sanskrit dictionaries you know in fact the best sanskrit dictionary is the big one monia williams mm. i've got that it's very expensive but <laughs> i've got that and i was fortunate because i studied sanskrit when i was at the university of malaya mm. as an undergraduate and now you can learn sanskrit anywhere in malaysia or indonesia wow. why is that well, because no more expertise or you can't get employment right. by learning sanskrit you know <laughs> can get job that's true uh, unless you want to be a historian even then historian hard <laughs> <laughs> right easy yeah. yeah so i work on this kai hang tuha and well it appeared in what in 2018 this year mm-hmm. yeah yeah around march i think yeah it's been creating a buzz i see people uh, sharing posts and talking about it yeah, yeah. Yeah and so uh, I hope to get it launched after the launching of this uh, Batu Besurat right right mm. so who was Hang Tuha now you see first of all one must recognize the fact that the Lakshmana of Malacca existed okay this is proven by the records uh, of the uh, letters of the Lakshmana to the Ryukyu king mm-hmm. in 1480 and 1481 So you can't deny that. And then, of course, the Portuguese sources, they all mention that the Lakshmana of Malacca. But nowhere in any source the name of the Lakshmana was ever mentioned. Hmm. Why? Because there is this taboo in Malay Indonesian culture. You cannot mention the name of a person, especially if he's a great man. Right, right. Yeah? This taboo is pantang, pantang larang, menyebut nama, yeah? to mention a name was left to the author of the Kehantua to use his imagination. Wow, okay. So, the name Hantua was actually it's just a nickname. Mm. It's a nickname, it's Glar, you know, Nama Glar. Mm-hmm. That is in Mili Kacha, for example, when one dies, you cannot mention his or her name. Allah Yarham or right. Allah Yarhamah right. or right. Arwah. Right. Uh, And until today, in Indonesian culture, among the Bugis and also in Sabah, if I am somebody who wants to address your name, mm-hmm. I cannot call your name. Right, right. I have to know your eldest child's name. Right, right. And then I will say, Bapak Si Ali. Yeah, it's not unlike the the Glaran Ibnu in the Arabic, right? It's the father's name, right? You don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or yeah, the, the in, lineage's yeah, name. In yeah, a, in Arabic also. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, you the have name that. of the lineage, like Ibnu uh, Rush, is actually the name of the great grandfather. Yes, it's yes, not his yes. name. Yeah, yeah. Ibnu Khaldun too. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so so in in Malay and Indonesian culture, it's also the same. Mm-hmm. Even among non-Muslims in Thailand, in Burma, in Cambodia, you do not mention the name of the king. Right. So it was a tentative name because of that reason. Then there was never really a person name Hantoha. No. It was more like a glaran, like you say. Yes, right. and I've checked all the Lakshmanas. Mm-hmm. 
did not reveal their names, including the other brothers, right? The four. They are fictional characters. Right, right. They never existed at all. <laughs> so at least, so there was this one Laksamana yes. who we roughly know exists, but it's given Hang Tuah. But yeah. the rest, the other four, never existed. Never either. existed. Right, right. See, the author was inspired by the characters in the Cerita Panji. Right. Pandawa Lima, is it? Pandawa Lima yeah. and the rest. Right. Cekel Waning Pati, mm-hmm. Panji Semerang. So about the five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So-called five pangulun or comrades or followers. But the author of the Sejarah, it all started by the author of the Sejarah Melayu. Right. So the author of the Sejarah Melayu, I consider him a brilliant person. Very imaginative. Mm-hmm. Although his inspiration came from many texts. Mm-hmm. He took some from Hikai Raja Pasai, some from, in the case of Hikai Antwa, from Hikai Aceh mm-hmm. also, and Hikai Iskandar Zokanain, Right, right. Sri Rama. So it's a hybrid text then. In that sense. Yes. Right. Now, right. Hang Tua is supposed to be the very loyal symbol of the Malay warrior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so let's pause there because we have to break for some messages. But we will be right back on that very point. How yeah. did this mysterious Laksamana become, quote-unquote, canonized into this figure to fit a certain political narrative? Uh I'm Ahmad Farahmat. You're listening to Night School, and our guest this week is Ahmad Adam talking about his latest groundbreaking work, Hikaya Hang Tuha. And we'll be right back after these messages. This is BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Night School. I'm Ahmad Farahmat. Joining us this week is Professor Ahmad Adam, legendary scholar and historian, and he is talking to us about his latest work, Hikaya Hang Tuha, which corrects and challenges the dominant narrative about Hang Tuha with some very startling revelations about. Uh, how the name came about and also what it implies for our understanding of his status as a political icon. So in the first part of the show, you gave us a good overview of how you came to this project and the, the name or the politics of naming behind it. And you ended with the remark that this was the beginning of Hang Tuah as we know it today. So how did he become from this very mysterious character to become this sort of, uh, you know, very simplified figure in history that is supposed to be representative of Malay politics and Malay heroism? First of all, the word Laksamana actually was taken from by the author of the Sejarah Melayu from the Hikayat Sri Rama. Mm. You see, Rama was the king. Now his brother, younger brother, was Laksamana. It's pronounced Lakshmana. I see, I see. Mm? Lakshmana was a very loyal brother to Rama. He did so many things for Rama. And Rama could even trust Lakshmana with his wife, Sita Devi. <laughs> so, we do not know who coined the name or at what period, but it must have been during the beginning of the Malacca Sultanate. <laughs> Say, the latest could be around mid 15th century, mm-hmm. if not earlier. Now, when, once this character was adopted, this name was adopted, you get the hierarchy mm-hmm. in the court. Sultan is at the apex. Then you get the Bandahara, or his title was also called Paduka Raja. And that's the, the, the sort of, the idea of the prime minister came from this, yes. this position, right? Yeah. The Bandahara. And Laksamana in English is typically translated as admiral. Not really like oh, admiral, okay. you know? mm-hmm. I suppose due to the shortage of terminology, 
it's easier to call him emperor. Mm-hmm. He was in charge of so many things. Right, right. He was advisor to the king. He was also uh, the communicator to foreign rulers, and he was just a very much respected leader. Mm-hmm. Besides the Benara, but he was regarded as a warrior. Right, right. He had his weapons. Now, in the Hikayang Tua, this person, this Laksamana, symbolizes Malay loyalty. So, if you import Malay politics, this is the first criterion. Right. You have to be loyal. Pantang Drohaka. The Sanskrit word is Drohaka. Mm-hmm. Drohaka is treason, mm-hmm. treachery. And Laksmana regarded his adversary Hang Kasturi in the mm-hmm. Sejarah Melayu and Hang Jebat in the Hikai Hang Tua mm-hmm. as not being loyal. Right. That's why he killed him. Right. He said, I love you. You're my brother. But sorry, the king comes first. Right. You have been disloyal to the king. This is another part of the Malay doctrine. Mm-hmm. If you want to join politics, Malay politics, pantang rohaka. Yes, yes. You know? You cannot have your own mind. And you cannot be independent. Mm-hmm. That's the system. And I suppose, I don't agree with it. Right, right, right. It's hard to sustain that. Yes. <laughs> so, how was he then, because like you said, he is a hybrid character, right? He's drawn from so many sources. But then now he's sort of purified to become just a Malay. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit about how that text has been politicized. Was there a particular reading that became canonical, authoritative? Or how did this very complicated text become so simplified now that yeah. we don't bother to ask these things anymore? Malays don't really have many texts. Mm. Whenever you talk about Malay classics, it comes to mind the Sejarah Melayu, mm-hmm. which is the Sulalatu Salatin. Then the second is Hikai Hang Tuha. Mm-hmm. The Hikai Tuha, until today, many people, especially the older generation, as well as the younger generation, regard as a historical source. Mm-hmm. And this gives the wrong image of Malaysian history, mm-hmm. wrong interpretation of history, because it is only a literary piece of work. Mm-hmm. It's literature. It's Malay literature, right. classical literature. It's not a history book. Mm-hmm. Likewise, I have also mentioned that the Sejarah Melayu also is not purely historical source. Right, right. But of course, you can use some of the information in the Sejarah Melayu to identify Malay culture, to know about Malay culture yeah. or Malay uh, hierarchical. And isn't it to an extent the case that all history began out of myth, right? So if you think about the Iliad, for example, right, it's, it's literary yes. poem. It's a long poem, of course, but that was the beginning of how people tried to, you know, discern what happened and what they did. And gradually, they kind of upgraded their sources, but the starting point is always myth of some kind, right? Yeah, it starts with myth. Yeah. And myth has a function in society. Yeah. You cannot disregard myth just like that. Mm-hmm. It has a function in society. But... History demands evidence. Mm-hmm. If that myth can provide historical evidence, then it's no longer myth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I wrote this book between myth and history. Right. right. Yeah. And I think if anybody were to be interested in writing, rewriting Malay history, they should disregard the myth. Mm-hmm. They should pick what is myth and what is history. Yeah. The problem is many people cannot differentiate between myth and history. Yeah. And I think psychologically, this affects the Malay mindset. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you've touched on a nerve with this figure, right? Because he's such a darling of conservative Malay politics. So tell us a little bit about the reactions and the, you know the strong feelings you've had, you know, when uh, you've encountered when you present your thesis. Well, Hang Tuha to me is a symbol of Malay feudalism, mm-hmm. it's Malay feudal culture, and until today, the doctrine that he held pervades mm-hmm. until today, and people regret that if you are loyal and you are brave, you are hung, they say hang tuah. Mm-hmm. And the word tuah suits the Malays because tuah means lucky. Mm-hmm. But actually, the word tuah emerged or appeared only after 1630s, mm-hmm. as I said. And uh, Hikayache was completed in 1636. So the word tuah emerged only around that period, yeah. in the 1630s. Now, the myth of the existence of hang jebat Hang Kasturi, Hang Lekir, and I changed the name from Lekir to Lukewa. Mm. Lekir is a misreading of the spelling. Yeah. To me, it's Lukewa. Lukewa means blade or dagger. Mm-hmm. You know, Lekir has no meaning. And all these are Javanese, old Javanese words, Kawi words. Yeah, yeah. To what extent is the mispronunciation, and that's related to bad transliteration or spelling due to colonial sources, you know, the fact that they archived it, the fact that they romanized it. Yeah. I mean, how much is that really the beginning of all the problems? Because like you said, and what I gather here is that the slightest alphabet can change the meaning of the word and then it just reorients your research in a different way, right? So how much of this was the fact that we had to rely on colonial transliterations of the term first? Yeah, but the misreading or the wrong transliteration could not be blamed on the Orientalists mm. only. The local writers also misread the Jawi. It's not easy to read Jawi. Hmm. You know? As I've shown just now, Raja in the Sejarah Melayu is pronounced Kida. Kida, K-Y-D, Kapyada. But actually it's Kite. Hmm. Kite means somebody royal, aristocratic, or the governor, or the Raja. It's Kite. It's not Kida. You know? So another name for the... Uh, the demon that crowned Sang Suprabha. The Orientalist started it, of course. It was Bat, and Malays followed. You know? mm-hmm. But actually, it's Bota, mm-hmm. because it's BT only. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. BT, people read it as Bat. So, a lot of the early readings of these words were speculative, it seems. Speculative. Right, right. And after a number of years, after centuries, they became the accepted right, right. norm for the word. You know? At first, I also thought, when I wrote the Batu Basurat, the Trangano inscription, I thought T-T-W-A. I thought it's Tertua. Mm-hmm. So I thought the word Tua already existed in the 14th century mm-hmm. yeah, because the Batu Basurat is 1308. Mm-hmm. Then after working on the Hikahantu, I discovered I was wrong. It's not Tertua, it's Tatua. Mm-hmm. Tatua is an old Javanese word meaning really Mm-hmm. Sesungguhnya, you know, the fact of the matter, that's the meaning. So the word tua didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, talking to you uh, just reminds me of how important it is to know the Javanese context, to know our story. It feels like it's almost like inseparable, right? Because you just can't purify the Malay, you know, narrative of history from what the Javanese was doing in the region more broadly at the time, right? Right. That is why even when the author of the Hikai Hang Tuha 
when he wrote about Hang Tuha, the adventure of Hang Tuha, he connected it with Majapahit. Mm-hmm. Majapahit, pronounced by the author Menjapahit, sometimes the words have been uh, stylized, you mm-hmm. know, from Majapahit became Menjapahit, is in history, in Southeast Asian history, was the greatest kingdom, actually, aside from Srivijaya. Mm-hmm. And the Javanese also colonized Sumatra at a certain period mm-hmm. and also came across the Straits of Malacca and colonized some parts of Malaya. Uh, those that I mentioned in the Negara Kartagama, which is a classic classical work, quite reliable, mentioned that Mua is a colony of Java. Hmm. Terengganu, colony of Java. Paka, Dungun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many of the words, even the culture, like Wayang Kulit, right. many people claim that it's Thai. I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the food, nasi kerabu mm-hmm. in Kelantan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that special of course, of rice. Course, yeah. In Java, in the Majapahit area, it was called nasi kerabu. Mm. Until today. Right, right. And wah, the constant wah and ba are interchangeable. Right, right. Wulan is bulan. Mm-hmm. So, further studies should be conducted yeah. Yeah. by students. You know. Yeah. So, we can't speak about Hang Tuah without mentioning Hang Jebat. What do we know about Hang Jebat? Obviously, it's a fictional character, but yeah. maybe was there any, at least some real-life reference to the fight or to the event or to the treason? I mean, what was the background of that drama historically? Yeah. The Hikai Hang Tua is really classic in the sense that the writer puts Hang Tua as the hero mm-hmm. and the adversary, the person who is against the system, mm-hmm. is Jabat mm-hmm. or Kasturi, depending on the text. Sure. Yeah. Now, the names Jabat and Kasturi mean sweet scent, wangi. Oh, Jabat means that too? Yes. Oh, okay. Jabat means Kasturi. <laughs> Kasturi means jebat. I see, I see. But people didn't know. Right, right. Uh, you tend to think of them as two separate people, right? No. Part, yeah, yeah. That is why the author, <laughs> he changed from Kasturi to jebat. Right, right. As I said, these two authors were brilliant. Sometimes I think they might have been the same person. Right, right. I'm still, you know, not That's sure. That's another project, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this was written in Archie. My argument, it was started in Aceh. Mm-hmm. And the Sejarah Melayu was recopied in Aceh. Wow. Uh, and there are so many Achenese words in the Hikai Hang Tuha as evidence. Mm-hmm. So, Jebat Kasturi means perfume. Now, Leker, Leker means the way you tie your sorrow. Mm-hmm. In Malacca, people say, Kain dia malake. That means the sarong is going to fall down. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, Lukewa. As I said, Lukewa is the blade. Mm-hmm. Lukewa is named after Kertala. You see, one of the Penguluns, one of the soldiers of the Panji mm-hmm. hero, mm-hmm. was named Kertala. Kertala means sword or blade. Mm-hmm. So the author of the Ikat Hang Tuha took the name Lukewa, right. also right. meaning the same thing. But why was Jabat chosen to be the nemesis? Because, you see, Jabat means perfume, mm-hmm. something sweet-scented. Mm-hmm. So is Kasturi. 
Now to show the irony of it, when you draw Haka, mm. your name is Busuk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very I bad see, smell. I see, I see. Uh, that's why I said the author is brilliant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for choosing the name. Right. And, uh, but until today, it is alright for you to say the Laksmana of Malacca was a great hero. Yeah, of course. But it's wrong to say he was Hang Tua. Right. <laughs> if you say he's Hang Tua, because Tua means the competent leader. Right. Or the supervisor of a group. That's the meaning of Tua. Besides the meaning of old or ancient. Mm-hmm. So, it's Glar. Yeah, yeah. What are the, uh, just before, because we have to wrap up soon, but is there any history at all to suggest that there was something like a Hang Tua? That the Malay speak of that some kind of figure like that existed. Is there anything points to that at all? We can speculate. Yeah. For example, the the battle between Hang Tuha and Jebat mm-hmm. could have been based on a real incident. Mm-hmm. The names of the two people may not be Hang Tuha right. or Jebat, or the concept of loyalty. Mm-hmm. Of course, there were some people who were loyal, and some people who were Drohaka. Mm-hmm. Drohaka actually. The concept started in the Batabu Surat of uh, Sumatra, the Sumatran inscriptions. The Rajas all condemned Rohaka. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the Raja was called Datu. So, Kedatuan means the Kerajaan. Mm. From Datu, you get Dato. Yeah, right, right, right. So, it is anathema to practice Drohaka. Mm-hmm. So, Tuha, when it was written, copies were also written and kept in the Istana. Because it's an important ideological book mm-hmm. for the Kraton, for the, for the courts. Yes. To remind people, never, never be Drohaka. But Satya is important. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What are your hopes for the young readers of this book? Because, you know, it's so important that they get to experience and encounter the level of rigor that you've put into this research. And I'm hoping, you know, I tell my students about your work a lot, and I'm hoping that this can be an inspiration for them, you know, to continue that legacy of critical history. So, you know, you've put in so much effort into this and, you know, you're exposing these ideas to a young demographic readership. What are your hopes for them and the general public more broadly? I definitely hope that the younger generation will have a different mindset, you know. When I say different mindset, the love of reading mm-hmm. should be inculcated in Malay culture. And reading with understanding mm-hmm. and critical understanding. So to change the mindset, you need to produce works like this. Mm-hmm. To be critical, just like I was critical of the Batu Surat. Mm-hmm. People are saying they are all Malay words. No, they're <laughs> all Japanese words in Sanskrit. Right. Yeah. And I hope the younger generation will be curious enough to continue my work because I'm already 77. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope they'll continue. There are so many manuscripts actually, but the reading is important. That's why Jawi is important. And I think for history department or Malay studies department, Sanskrit is wajib. Right, it's compulsory right. to be taught. Yep. And all Javanese. So much of our roots depends on us understanding Sanskrit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. As you've shown. Yeah. Mm. So the book is Hikayat Hang Tuha. It's available at most major bookstores. It's published by Grab Budaya. Yes. And they can find it either at a store in PJ or on the website. Oh, yeah. uh, and to buy it online. And you are also on Facebook. 
so they can follow your writings there. You you regularly post your thoughts yeah. and your commentaries. And I've been very serious about it. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, I mean you're a scholar and you put yeah. in a lot of rigorous work, and yeah. I think you should be. You know, and I think that's an example for a lot of us. You know, for me as well as an aspiring researcher. And the latest I wrote in the Facebook that the first ruler of Melaka to embrace Islam was Parmesora himself. Mm. And I argued, right. I argued based on, you know, the sources that I came across. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's not Sri Maharaja as claimed by many people. Right, right. Interesting, interesting. And people can follow your writings, you know, because you regularly update your thoughts on that. So it's very, very animated and very engaging. Uh, you can email the show too, bfmnightschool.gmail.com. Look us up on Facebook. We have a page you can like, BFM Night School. Type that on the search space. Or download our app at the Apple App Store and Google Play. Once again, we'd like to thank Professor Ahmad Adam for his time and knowledge, for his generosity, and hopefully we can have you on the show again. I'm Ahmad Fat Rahman, and this is Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.